0: Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Norb, for the invitation to be here this morning. And good morning, friends. Uh, good, to, good to see you this morning, many of whom we know, and uh, new people that have come to uh, TCC. But uh, what a joy for Southwest Community Church and Terwilliger Community Church to be able to worship together on this good Friday. Well, uh, maybe this is a good chance for me to sneak in a word of thanks as well from Southwest for the prayer support and for the financial support that you have offered to uh, Southwest Community Church. We so appreciate your, your strength, your help, your encouragement, and your blessing. Well, we probably learned it somewhere along our travels, uh, and the song got riveted into our hearts simple song, but uh, the kind of song that pesters us when we sing it. I learned it as a child in a one-room rural schoolhouse that we used as a church on Sundays. About 25, 30 people would gather in that that little schoolhouse. I sang it again in a German Baptist church, which was to become our next uh, church home as we moved and bought another farm And the church was, there it was, right on our property. And so there we went to the East Olds Baptist Church. I sang it in college, and I sang it in seminary, and every church since we still sing it. But it's the kind of song that pesters you a little bit when you sing it. Uh, And you know it. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus. We sing it, and inside of us, we want it to be true. We, we want it to be authentic. No turning back. But will I, will I turn back? It was the same question that haunted our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. Am I sure about this? Can I face this? So we take our place this Good Friday morning in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. Isn't it been wonderful to hear it read to us? This is a front row seat to observe a fortified Jesus with renewed willpower, delivering his all, resolute and determined. And he was uttering his theme song in Gethsemane, No Turning Back, No Turning Back. So pray with me. We come this morning, Jesus, to be energized in your word so that we too will be courageous and resolute as we face our own Calvary. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to honor your word today as we read it and consider what you're saying to us and preparing us for the hour in which we live. And Lord, again to to say it, this day means everything to us. So thank you. Amen. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up again to him again and again saying, Hail King of the Jews! And they slapped him on the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here's the man. Now it's apparent as you read the text that Pilate was not prepared for their response. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Even Pilate had to ask the question about turning back. What will he do with Jesus? What will he do with this man that he can't figure out? What will he do with Jesus? It so haunted him. How will he save face in the midst of enormous pressure? He tried the approach called sympathy... The crowds wanted crucifixion, but he thought if he just messed Jesus up a little bit, bloodied his face, ripped into his back, had him scourged, had him made fun of, that might be enough. I mean, who would want to see a deeply humiliated individual who's been beaten within an inch of his life, who would want to go further and now kill him? Surely they will stop there. Surely the crowds would be filled with compassion and say, It's enough. It's enough. Let the man go. There are seven times within the Gospels that Pilate declares him guiltless. I find him not guilty. I find that he's not guilty. Not not guilty. Not guilty. I find no charge to be placed against him. Not guilty. But yes, you take him. You do with him as you want. But I find him not guilty. Pilate misread it completely. <laughs> Mercy, there was no mercy. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! We have a law by which he must die. He called himself the Son of God. He must die. No one can say he is the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more frightened than ever. Things are not coming together for Pilate. He has seen the scourging. He has seen the humiliation. But now none of that worked. And he has to really deal with the question, what did Jesus do? What brought him to this point? What is the nature of his offense? Why can't we just get over this? We have a law by which he must die. He called himself the Son of God. Now, honestly, there was no law that that was that specific. But it was true that they had a law about blasphemy. And it says when Pilate heard this, he's even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace and he said, where do you come from? He was not looking for a geographical address. Who are you? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Now to that Jesus spoke. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Meaning, of course, the religious leaders. Pilate is a mess. (laughs) His mouth is open And these words just slay him. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. In other words, God's in charge here. I'm not at your mercy, Pilate. There's something bigger happening here, and you're part of it too. There is a historic moment that that has arrived, and you have to figure out what you're going to do. But what happens here takes place by the permission of God. Oh, those words, don't they resonate through the sands of time? Remember those words from Jesus when you find yourself in a situation where you are mistreated and taken advantage of. The God's in charge of our lives. And we we wrestle with the problem of uh, injustice and pain and heartache and when the word cancer is written on our bed chart, and when we experience war and death and whatever it may be, God is in charge. And He knows. And He's working. So Jesus says what happens here take place takes place only by the permission of God. You know, friends, we, we level our accusations at God because of the seeming injustices of the world. Remember what Jesus said when these accusations are level. uh, and, And it looks like the bottom is falling out. You would have no power unless it's given from above. Remember this when you hear people rail at God because things do not work out according to their liking. Jesus could stand before Pilate, and you know he could have had him shredded into a million pieces. He he could have turned the crowds around. He could have dazzled them and been anointed as the leader of the people's movement. He could have overpowered the religious leaders of the day, sulking in their envy and their mean-spirited behavior. He could have. He could have. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Do you think I cannot call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels or 6,000 soldiers in a legion so 72,000 angels at his disposal now these are his last words to Pilate final words Final words to the Roman governor. Jesus says, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. The word says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, (coughs) which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Now, from the days of his childhood, Pilate always wanted to be a somebody. He longed for success. And somehow he got enough promotions to get to Rome, which only whet his appetite for more power. He married Claudia, the granddaughter of Emperor Augustus, And finally, this small-town boy became governor of Judea, which was like striking it rich, successful. He had reached the heights. Bishop Westcott once wrote that great occasions do not make heroes or cowards. They simply unveil them to the eyes of men. Silently and imperceptibly, as we wake or sleep, we grow strong or we grow weak. And at last, some crisis shows us what we have become. And that's how God works in our lives. And that's how God works all through history. He brings out that which is hidden. And God shows us who we really are as we face Jesus Christ and as we face who he really is. And he strips us of all pretense and self-importance as we now face our own cross. Pilate drops out of history at this point. Uh, Not too long after he lost his job as governor of Judea, he was summoned to Rome to answer to Tiberius for his performance as a governor. But en route to Rome, Tiberius suddenly died. And Pilate eventually was freed from all of his charges. And he decided to get away from Rome and go to southern France, which in those days was known as Gaul. The story of legend and tradition tells us that it was in Gaul that he put himself to death, that he took his own life. Why was his life so jammed up? It's in verse 16, Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Because he signed the death warrant of the greatest man who ever walked the face of this earth, the greatest God-man. And so he could no longer live with himself, He never found the peace and the forgiveness of God, which was still available to him. He just somehow couldn't get himself there. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate had a notice, prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate to not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Of all the methods of execution... There was nothing to rival this form of death. Hanging from your wounds until you could no longer hold yourself up, and eventually you died by asphyxiation. The Romans had designated a place outside Jerusalem for the purpose of crucifying criminals, and the locals nicknamed it as the place of the skull, because an outcropping of rocks looks like a skull. And to this day, uh, you can see that skull. You can look at the hill and say, I I, I totally get it. It's referred to as Gordon's Calvary. Dr. Gordon, doing research on the location of the garden tomb, made the connection between the place of crucifixion and the place of burial in the nearby garden tomb. It, It appears to be the authentic location of the crucifixion And burial of our Lord Jesus Christ and Pilate arranged that a title or a little sign should be placed on the cross identifying who this man was written in Hebrew, Latin and Greek so that the whole world could read it and you get the sense that Pilate had a stubborn streak about him that regardless of the uproar of the Jewish leaders he was not changing what he wrote Jesus of Nazareth of the Jews he persisted and he said what I've written I've written and those words are searching for all of us because it's the story of our own lives really what I've written I've written how I've lived I have lived we cannot change the past none of us can change the past It's been written. But we do not need to be under the condemnation of the past. We do not need to die in our sin. We do not need to live without hope because that's indeed why he died. So that we could go free and be cleansed of our sin and live victoriously in this life and be with Jesus forever in the life to come. One of the touching parts of the, of the narrative is when Jesus looks at his mother from the cross and says, dear woman, here is your son. And he says to his disciple, John, here's your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. And you know, Mary had other children. She had four other sons who at this point weren't believers in Jesus and who could have taken uh, his mother in. But isn't it touching that Jesus has such a heart for, the, for his mom? Even in the midst of all of his suffering, he looks at his mom and he thinks of his mom. And he had determined that John would be the one to make sure that his mom was well cared for. We don't have any biblical information as to what happened to Mary. But we can be sure that the apostle of John, this apostle of love that kept his word. Some suggest that Mary stayed with John in Jerusalem until she died. And then John went out on his missionary uh, exploration and some suggest that actually Mary went with John to Ephesus where, as you know, John became the pastor of the Ephesian church and, and that was there in Ephesus that, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, died. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Keeping hydrated is the medical advice to all of us. Are you drinking enough water? Are you drinking enough water? And most of us say, I should be drinking more. But nothing worse in terms of pain than when every cell of our body needs some water. Water. And every cell reacts in pain because the body is deprived of of water. Jesus said these words, I'm thirsty, in order to fulfill the prophecy of Psalm 22. You recall that he refused the wine originally offered to him initially because it was called myrrh and there was some sedative ingredients and Jesus refused that. And now they respond and they give him some sour wine on a sponge held up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and released his spirit. And friends, that word phrase, it is finished in the Greek, is written in only one word. And it's the word tetelestai, tetelestai. So when Jesus hung on the cross, he shouted out, in Greek or Aramaic, it is it is finished, the telestine. This is such a significant word, and Jesus was so empowered and so triumphant to be able to say it, that his whole life had been about this one word. And he's finally at a place now in his journey where he can say it. The bridge has been built between God and humanity. And that bridge is strong, it's strong, it will forever bear the weight of all of us who come to God. We will come through the bridge, Jesus Christ. But the bridge that Jesus built will stand the test of time now and throughout all eternity. We were separated from God. Our sin kept us at a distance, but Jesus said, I love you. The Father said, I love you. And the Son takes the penalty for our sin. And he says, I've come to give you new life. I've come to give you forgiveness. That's what Good Friday is all about. I've come to give you a new start. I've come to give you a clean slate. Isn't that wonderful? You could start over again. What I did on the cross has finished the journey. Jesus didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it's finished. Those three simple words, it's finished. One word in Greek, the telestai. Those words are the most important words ever uttered in history. There are none, none, zero words more important. It's finished. It's finished. Pray with me, Lord, because if it isn't finished, we're all in deep trouble. If it isn't finished, we're hopeless. If it isn't finished, we're doomed because we can't do it for ourselves Jesus thank you that you fulfilled the scriptures that you satisfied the justice and the law of God and it is finished and Jesus that you paid my penalty for everything I've ever done wrong is finished and today on this good Friday (coughs) we say thank you thank you Lord thank you we stand here in no merit of our own, but with the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed us and cleansed us and given us a new start. And for that, we express our love and our appreciation and our deep gratitude, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.